You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smallacrehunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. All right, guys, welcome to this episode. And first and foremost, I just want to thank everybody. Um, didn't quite hit the uh, podcast once every month. I know the last time you heard from me was in November and uh, kind of took December off, uh, got a promotion at my at my job and uh, responsibility with every promotion, as we all know, just gets amped up and we're building a new house. Everything's going good. Little man's doing amazing. Um, had, a, had a gentleman the other day ask me how fatherhood was and you know, the best way I can describe it is I am just humbled. It is it is an incredibly humbling calling that uh, the man upstairs saw me fit to uh, be called father to one of his sons for just a short time while here on earth. And it, 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 it doesn't get any better. Um, it doesn't matter who I dealt with during the day, how my day's going. The moment I see him smile at me when I get home is just best feeling in the entire world it trumps walking up on cicero it trumps walking up on any deer that i've ever harvested um it's just incredible so uh yeah that's a brief little personal update but uh let's just delve right into uh the brunt of this podcast and i'm extremely excited i finally have everything set up i've tested with some guests and such so i'm gonna start tackling the guest list and some of the people that said they'd they'd be on the podcast and I know some of you have been just dying to hear you know some habitat minds just kind of meld over a podcast and and talk about things that we all are curious about myself and just kind of hear another perspective or um, who knows maybe hear somebody else that you trust more confirm that Ty is not out of his mind when he says some of the things he says but uh this episode though is just me I know boo I'm sorry but the 2020 forecast for this season for myself and Pops is we're probably facing more unknowns than we've ever faced before. Um, with me building a new house, amazingly, we're both going to be going through a big move change. Pops is uh, semi-retired right now. He's going to be going back to work for a short, for a few years. Um, and uh, that's neither here nor there, but they are going to be taking advantage of the market that we have and they are going to be downsizing house-wise, upkeep-wise, yard-wise, things of that nature, and just have a house to tend with. Probably subdivision or something very similar. And uh, just so they have a lot less to upkeep as they enter into their fun retirement years where it's grandchildren for them both and for Pops killing deer. So um, Pops is hoping to um, that we both can come across, and we've got some ideas, but uh, we're hoping that once they sell, the profit from their uh, property sale will not only get them a smaller, downsized, hopefully newer with less uh, functional issues and such, and lifespan of everything will be pretty much new um, to where then he can roll that into also another property. So we may have a blank canvas for you guys to kind of see 
us tackle. And that's kind of what the new 22 has been. However, I'm going to be honest, the new 22 hit a really big snag in that I've never been able to get the logger to actually come out. And, you know, one year it was too wet. The other year he was too busy. Last year there, there apparently was a miscommunication. Um, but I am so happy to say that at least for right now, we had, we had them planned to come out last Friday. Um, weather did not permit for that to happen, but finally loggers are going to be hitting the new 22. And why does that excite me? I know everybody here probably has heard me say it from time and time and time again. You know, one of the best things you can do for your property is fire up the chainsaw. And some people, that's like a swear word, and they don't, you know, well, you need to have a forester come out, and you need to you look at the timber and such. You know, I, I get it. 100%, I'm not here to say that approach is wrong, but that approach is wrong for my case and for my goals and my perspective. Um, I'm not caring about timber value. Timber value does not even enter my thought process or equation unless I plant rows of walnuts maybe along the edge of my property one time which I've thought about I have a I have a really good western side of my property um, it gets a lot of sun exposure it's kind of a dead space I don't really want to put anything that's conducive for deer travel and use and movement so I've thought about planting some walnut trees that maybe in 50 60 70 years if I'm still somehow alive um, taking advantage of harvesting them or at the bottom line maybe it'll be something that Bryce can can harvest and uh, reap the benefits of but I just timber value is not what drives all of my decisions my decisions are whitetail based however they have kind of morphed into a more all-inclusive conservation-minded uh, approach to things so I've actually decided most likely that strip that I've thought about planting walnuts at what if I did like a pollination strip? The deer might still use it. I don't use it as a uh, an entrance or exit route, so it wouldn't be be really taken away from that. Um, I thought about maybe planting some native wildflowers, really trying to get into that. Realized how expensive those are, so I'm still kind of researching and figuring out what I could do because it's not a big big strip. It's 20 yards wide at the most probably um, that I would go. It's about a 30-yard wide section, but I'd probably only do about a 20-yard wide section. It's about probably 60 to 70 yards long. Um, Just a a neat little project that I've thought about doing. Um, But yeah, that's kind of a side issue. I can't really do any of that that, because that's going to be a corridor to get logs in and out, which gets me back on topic. But the logger has finally, I, I had conversations with him a few days back, and uh, he's excited he's going to come in, and, and he understands that my objective is i got to get these logs on the ground. Haven't been really able to sculpt and, and, and change um, the pockets of, of, of mature timber that I have. Now, granted, my pockets of mature timber are along. They're not uh, large chunks. I basically have, and for you guys that, that know and have seen maps of the new 22, and maybe I'll share that in a blog post or something here, here in the future, um, basically, my property, for those who don't know, is 23 acres, give or take. The large chunk of it, I have two parcels. One is like a 20-acre, 19-point-some-acre uh, rectangle, longer north-south than it is east-west, with a pond that basically is right in the middle of it. Think like a, a key slot right in the center of it. It runs long. It's narrow, um, which is a blessing and a curse. It, it, 
I, I kind of wish it wasn't quite as big as it is, but it is what it is. And then up on the northeast corner of my property, there's a square parcel that I own as well. And that chunk is, is full mature timber, a lot of oaks, a lot of cherries, um, some pines, and then it extends and kind of makes an L shape to the north side of the clover plot and such. And uh, I've got pine trees up there. I've probably got about five to six acres of really good timber there. And then I've got a ton of cottonwoods that are really huge around the pond, which cottonwoods are not a big money tree. But I, like I've told the logger, if it will at least get you money, it may not add money to me. Or it might only get me 10 bucks. Take it down. Take it down. Sell it. Get it out. It's not giving me anything. It's just eating up sunlight. And that's not good. So I'm, I'm very curious to know how, you know, I've got that five to six acre chunk to the northern side of the property. Uh, it's right now, it doesn't have much growth underneath. You can tell that it's somewhat of a younger um, age structure. Got a lot of uh, understory buckthorn that's starting to take over, which is not good. Uh, got a bunch of young oaks that are trying to grow around an opening. Um, looks like a tree died at one point. And those just get browsed insanely well. Because, see, the deer like to bed around and in this little tiny wood flat. And they, they go to it during the day. They nibble on it and everything. But it's not really a great spot. It's just good because it's tucked into a kind of a suburban area away from uh, predators, both in human form and, and coyote form and such. But I'm really kind of curious because I think once I get the sunlight into there and I can start to control the buckthorn a little bit more, I can really see what starts exploding. I'm not going to get really crazy hinge cut wise. Um, once I get the money trees out, I will probably then go in and worry mainly about hinge cutting the edges and perimeters of access points. Main reason for that, sadly, is I have a ton of trespassing issues out here. Um it's been a yearly thing, so it, 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 needless to say, I'm frustrated with that aspect of it, but um, I'm doing everything that I can to deter them, which actually, this is a great minute, let me grab it, great quick minute here to uh, segue and share about, sorry, I was grabbing a paper, um, Serious Property Markers, it's uh, SeriousPropertyMarkers.com. Uh, they're made in the USA. So one of the things, I, I originally hang, hung like Tyvek signs everywhere, and I really do like those Tyvek signs. They're really great. Um, you can roll them up, throw them in your pocket almost. But the problem is they fade, and they tear off of the trees somewhat easily. So I had people tearing those off. So then I went to like these flimsy aluminum ones, which they're not so flimsy if the packet of six that's wrapped you just nail to a post, right, pops? <laughs> that's a that's a side side funny story. Thought I had twelve one day, and we ended up only able to hang seven because somebody nailed through six. And man, I tell you what, when you have six ply of those things, they're pretty pretty thick and sturdy. But uh, I had people even ripping those off. So I've decided not only am I going to get a better high quality. Uh, sign from serious property make, uh, makers. These are like a molded plastic and the the lettering is actually uh, completely cut out like a laser cut or CNC mill if you will like if you're trying to envision it like you actually 
the whole thing's yellow that I got. You can get yellow, orange, red, if I remember right. You might even be able to get a couple other colors. I got yellow because of the high viz. And then it uses the gap to spell the letters. So it says posted, private property, hunting, fishing, trapping, or trespassing for any purpose is strictly per- forbidden. Violators will be prosecuted. I'm going to hang these puppies. And then it's got areas for multiple screw locations and things of that nature. And I'm going to hang these puppies with climbing sticks. At least two climbing sticks to get about 9 to 12 feet high with these puppies. And they're going to be hung up all around the property. Um, four by four posts are going into the most likely scenario where people are going to be crossing. I'm hanging dummy cameras with other cameras watching them. I am completely all out fed up with it. But serious property markers, guys, go check them out. If you're looking for really high quality and uh, they're not the cheapest, but I'm telling you right now, these are not going to fade. They're going to last forever. Leave a little gap in the nail when you put them in the tree so the tree, when it grows, doesn't pop the sign or the nail. And then I can easily foresee me using these puppies well well into a dozen, two dozen years, um, if not forever out there. But to get back on topic, uh, the logger, I'm really curious to see once we get those trees down, how the deer are going to react to it. So one of the one of the big benefits of my property is, and uh, I kind of have a mindset similar to Jeff Sturgis in this fact, uh, during the summer months, I don't worry about necessarily feeding my deer uh, the number one most desirable food in the area. There is a plethora of food options once spring green up really kicks into full gear. Summer months, as long as you've got early successional growth and things aren't getting burned out and it's not just a field, you're going to have a ton of food options, especially for those deer during their first and second. Um, maybe not their first because that's kind of it depends on the day when you start their day, but they basically feed five times during the day. And the fourth and fifth feeding are, you know, right at night or right after dark and then on after that and then once in the early morning, second in, in, in uh, mid-morning, during the middle of the day, and third feeding. And you'll hear a lot of guys, especially even Jeff Sturgis, harp on that third feeding is the most important one. It's that one where they'll get up, they're not quite to their destination food, but they're going to hit yours and such. But in the summer months, you know, soybeans and alfalfa fields, those are their large destination uh, food sources that are the most desirable. Well... I've tried soybeans. I've done pretty good and such, but it's a small amount. I don't necessarily have the creme de la creme or creme de la creme of uh, food plots in the summer months. So the does and the doe families don't necessarily use my property uh, as their own and like kick the bucks out. The does will pretty much take the best closest location to the food source at that time frame. So during the summer months, I have a lot of bucks that summer on my property. It's an amazing location, low intrusion, uh, great food sources from clover to lower desirability, but still palatable and, and sought after. I have wild black raspberry bushes. I have a lot of early successional growth, a lot of young hinge trees. As I get more of native or desirable shrubs like the vibrinium, um, witch hazel, arrowwood, red or dogwood, things of that nature. The deer are, are there's a lot of, of browse options on my place, which means a lot of cover as well. 
So these deer feel extremely safe. These bucks feel extremely safe. I mean, Cicero felt safe at any point. If he got an itch to get up and eat, he did because he felt safe. This is a Boone and Crockett buck that just literally felt safe because he knew he was a leap from cover. There was good, not ice cream level food, but good food. He had water and he had security. Actually, reverse that. He had security, water, and good food. So I don't want to cancel that out. Like, I don't want doe families to finally decide now that I've got this uh, more mature sections of the property cut and cleared to take hold. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case because my other largest chunk of area that has a lot of cottonwoods and some pine trees is actually right down along the road. And as of right now, you can basically drive past my property in a section of it. You can see well up into it until it gets thick right at the edge of where an old fallow field used to be. I need to get rid of that. Bottom line, I need to at minimum, even if the deer don't really use it to bed, I need it to be a sight blockage. I need it to be a spot that they can go in and feed on woody brows and whatever else pops up, early successional growth, once the once the woods are cleared out and I can encourage other stuff to grow. I need them to be able to feel safe all the way up until that, that, that street edge. I basically have five to eight acres down there. Well, probably four to five acres that is just wasted. Um, I just don't see the deer... It's it's a deer desert. It's just open woods. It's right next to the road. That even that's like a double double negative, and it is just is what it is. But if I can do anything to help it, I'm going to. And uh, I park down there. There's a parking area there, and I'm gonna try to really wedge out a really thick blockade there. Once we get the mature trees out, by hinging, stacking piles of debris and such right there, and uh, hopefully encourage. A little bit of sight blockage right there. And uh, it, it stinks being able to park there because then I have to walk down to the other end and access the property. Um, and any deer that are bedded right there, if they happen to be bedded close, are going to know and they're going to bump to the north and most likely I'm not going to see them that night. But hey, wait till the proper winds don't do it a lot and uh, hunt it extremely tactically. And uh, I think, think we'll continue to see success. I actually hunted... The food plot for the first time, the Radix blind, which stay tuned. I'm going to be posting my thoughts on the Radix blind here soon in a video, probably on YouTube, and I'll share it to to Facebook as well. Absolutely uh, love that thing. For the price, I don't necessarily know if you can beat it. So uh, just a little foreshadowing to that. But I hunted that, that spot shortly after the first of the year. And had a great hunt, saw a bunch of bucks, just didn't see a buck worth taking. Uh, pretty picky right now. And uh, I'm done. I'm not I'm not planning on going out. I haven't went out in a couple weeks. But the reduction zone in my area goes on until the last day of January, if I remember right. But, yeah, getting those logs out at the new 22 is going to be one of the biggest things. And I will take you along. I will report on the podcast. I will take videos on YouTube and post them, which will be shared on, on Facebook. But we are basically taking down any loggable size tree. Now, there is a caveat. And 
Um, some of you will be happy to hear this. So up in the northeast corner, which is going to be kind of like a bedding and transitional area, there is some oak trees, and I do have some white oak trees. And as we all know, or if you don't, here's a little tidbit for you, white oak trees versus red oak trees, those that fall in the white oak tree, typically white oak tree family are going to have slightly less tannin levels to extremely less tannin levels. And tannin, basically, if you put an acorn in your mouth and bite down on it, the more bitter it is, the higher level the tannins are. Put very, very simply, that's the difference. Red oak trees typically are going to have a very high tannin count compared to white oak trees. So white oaks, if you have white acorns versus red acorns, both on the ground, most likely the deer are going to eat the white acorns first. Um, so I'm going to have them leave. I'd like to leave at least six um, mature producing white oak trees or right on the cusp of it. Because you got to understand, once we release this mature timber and the remaining oak trees that are up there, they're going to be able to spread their wings, stretch, if you will, like a human being does in the morning when you get out of bed. And they're really going to be able to grow and stretch their branches out. And they will. there have been studies that it won't, if a released oak tree is going to produce more acorns than four oak trees that are all right beside each other competing for space. So you can actually increase your acorn production by decreasing the number of oaks in your area if you have a ton of oak trees. So I don't hesitate to cut oaks. I don't hesitate to plant oaks. I wish I could just snap my fingers and have a 25-year-old white oak tree where I want them to be. Um, planted a few sawtooth oak trees uh, around the property last year. They were very young, so maybe in seven to nine years, I'll be able to start to see some acorns dropping from those. But uh, until then, we'll wait. We'll be patient. So that's the first big revamp of the 2020 uh, habitat forecast on the new 22. I was actually uh, messaging or actually on a post that I posted on Facebook, I was letting Jared Jared know from Habitat Podcast, which if you haven't checked out Habitat Podcast over there, good friends Jared and Brian do a wonderful job over there. They have great um, guests on. Uh, I've been on there uh, twice now. Hopefully, you know, maybe I'll have something worthwhile of sharing with them in the future. But if you haven't checked them out, go over there. Do me a favor. Check them out. But this year... One of the things that I will be doing, we actually, I think, touched on in the first episode that I was on with them, and that is my bush honeysuckle issue. So bush honeysuckle, Asian bush honeysuckle that we all know isn't invasive. A lot of people, it's a swear word. Um, there are times where I've been at properties, if you eliminated the bush honeysuckle, you were going to have a desert in the understory. So I think there are times where you got to kind of get the overstory, get the, get the mature trees handled first then start to slowly transition out of the bush honeysuckle. There's a couple different ways to um, get rid of bush honeysuckle. Honestly, some people say it can be very hard to eradicate fully, but uh, you can go in and just lop cut it, and you're going to have regeneration happen. If you wait until the sap is flowing in the early spring, from what I understand, is one of the best times you can hit the leaves with gly, or you can actually hack and squirt it. A lot of people that I know said if you really truly want to terminate it, it's not going to eliminate it from the landscape, but it'll be dead and slowly over time go away is you can spray the leaves with gly, you know, a high concentration with gly, higher than what you would probably use anywhere else, 
and then also hack and squirt with like Tordon or something like that. But you got to be careful if you're using a chemical that will leach into the soil and such and kill other trees. You just got to be really careful that it only impacts the hack that you you cut into the tree with the axe or the uh, Bowie knife or whatever you're using. So those are some methodologies. But I have a section next to it's like between the pond and my one clover chicory plot. And I've illustrated, and I have bucks that have bedded in here, but they're it, 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 more and more, it's getting used less and less. And a lot of that is to the fact that a lot of my bush honeysuckle is so mature that it's formed bush honeysuckle pockets, if you will, that if you duck down, you can see throughout the entire thing. And that's not what we want. Um, young bush honeysuckle would be better than than even this. So... This spring or late winter, I'm going to be going in and we're, I'm going to be, and Pops is probably going to be out there helping me, but I'm going to go in and I'm just going to lop all this bush honeysuckle off. A regeneration of whatever pops up, even if it's bush honeysuckle at a young stage, is going to be better and be more conducive to use for the deer than what it's presently offering the deer. Now, at the same time, what I'm going to do is at least flag these, and I'm going to plant. Uh, I've got a bunch uh, of stuff from spice bush to witch hazel to some vimbriniums. Um, I'm going to try to get some streamco willows. I've got uh, a future guest on that has has always had an open invitation to me to come up and take some streamco willow cuttings, and I need to take advantage of that and also have them on the podcast. So that's a little hint, streamco willows. Indiana, Michigan area as a key. Um, so hopefully that some of you guys may already know who that is. He he utilizes Streamco Willows throughout his property as well. So I'd like to shove all those in the ground, get them get them marked. That way, when I come back through, if I if they start growing and they take well, in year two I'll go back through any of the bush honeysuckle that has regenerated. I will eradicate again and just kind of stay on top of that. And I'd like to have an area that's just a whole bunch of bushes. Um, oh, elderberry I, I have in there as well and some other stuff. And I will probably plant some pear and apple trees along the very edge of this. So it's it's kind of a type of bedding area. It's a transitional area next to the clover chicory. It's a corridor for travel that I can keep my eye on from the stand. It's about 100 yards maximum to the pond. Probably more like 80 yards to the pond, uh, 40 yards to the edge of this uh, area that I will be trying to transform. So if I see a buck and I can get its attention, chances are I'm going to be able to get a shot, even if it's a far poke around 40, 45 yards. That's a far poke for me. I've never shot a deer where four is the first number in the yardage. Well, Cicero might have been four yards, but... Uh, but yeah, never really quite done that. So bush honeysuckle eradication is on the agenda. I will take you guys along the ride with that as well. And then third and finally, if we have time, is with all of this bedding area options going on, once we get the logging done, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I can I can go about and I can justify offering. I know some of you are going to think, Ty's lost his mind because he always speaks against this. I'm going to be offering larger food plots. Um, I've got some areas that I can carve out of the 
main food source location on my property instead of um, maybe relying on such large briar sections of wild black raspberries and such. I'm going to narrow those down quite a bit, if not eliminate them entirely. Eliminate a few islands of saplings that I've left, just as sight barriers, because I really think the deer feel safe. I don't think it matters if I have that small cluster in a couple locations. And I focus on delivering a little bit more size of food because the demand and the, and the popularity of the property is growing exponentially, it seems like, every single year as far as deer usage. So I need to have a little bit more food. I'm saved this year because the farmer to the southeast did not pick his beans still. Uh, I don't think he's going to. So there's just a plethora of soybeans over there. So the deer are going to be getting fat. Bertier is going to be getting fat probably over there if he's still alive. Uh, man, I hope he is. Gosh, that would be an incredible journey to finally close. But those are the three big things on the 2020 forecast for, for for Pops and I at my place. Like I illustrated or uh, shared earlier and hinted at, we may be getting to do something at a brand new property or, a little teaser, it might be a chunk of property that we already are familiar with that he might take ownership of, a section of it, who knows. But uh, I will be sure to share with you guys throughout that entire process. Um, we're hanging on to a few other locations. The River Bottom property, part of that sold. So that's another unknown going into the season. So we're really losing um, a decent amount of locations that we've always had. Or, they, or they're changing dramatically. So we've got to prepare, plan, and uh, possibly even look for a new location. Some of you guys have been writing in. I actually had two people that I responded to in the last week wanting to know. They were really interested by the teasers and such that I posted about telling the story of the Homestead property because uh, 2020 will not see Pops or I most likely hunt at the new 22. We may hunt close to it, but this will be the first year since we both started hunting, essentially, that that is not a location that is an option in the plans. And I want to share, you know, some of the, I've killed a lot of deer over the years there. A lot of amazing bucks off of that small chunk of ground. Pops has killed some amazing bucks, including the one this last year, the largest buck ever taken off of there. And, uh, I, I think it's worthy of a story. I think it's worthy of it because I think it is inspiring to many of you out there that are just like me, just like pops. You don't have much. You got just like nine acres, seven acres. And your dreams are big, but you think your reality has to be much smaller. And, and the fact is, if you're willing to put forth the blood, the sweat, and tears, and some equity into it, and be patient, be willing to sacrifice, and eat tag soup every now and then, um, go through defeats, there's some, there's some good that can happen, and there's some growth that can occur. And I think, I think in the end of it, you can smile and be thankful that you got to go on the journey and... You, you you were a big part of, of the success with uh, calluses on your hands and sweat on your brow type of an approach to things. So that is, in essence, this episode, everybody. I just wanted to uh, let you know that you are appreciated. Thank you for always supporting Small Acre Hunting Podcast, smallacrehunting.com. 
the Facebook page, just everything and anything. Uh, I still pinch myself when I think that this all started with just a blog and a kid that wanted to share his thoughts on hunting, and it just kept growing from there. So thank you to some of the relationships that I've built. Uh, Real-world wildlife products, however, there's not a formal contract, and I don't get money directly. Thank you guys for everything that you do, your belief in me. Those of you that may not have seen it, they asked me to write a quick testimonial knowing that uh, I'm not one to push products. And uh, that's one of the reasons why they reached out to me, and and I can tremendously respect the way they go about business and such. And uh, I wrote about the clover chicory blend that they have to offer. It's in their land management uh, booklet or magazine, if you will, that they handed out this year, and it comes comes along with every packet. So if you order any seed from Real World Wildlife Products, or if you have a, a, a... provider near you a retailer near you that sells it uh, they probably have these uh, be sure to check it out and uh, look for look for me on their cicero made made a magazine i guess you could say or 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 a, i don't know what they called it exactly it was like a land management program or something like that but just thank you from the bottom of my heart it really does mean a lot that my ramblings can entertain you guys And uh, so many of you guys have claimed that I've taught you at least something or maybe taught you what not to do. So, hey, it's still teaching you something. So uh, I'm going to stop rambling at this point and uh, close this podcast out with just embrace the journey wherever it finds you, whether that is revamping a property, figuring out public land. Um, Your dreams can truly occur if you just commit to them. The timetables may differ. The length of time for you to see them might differ. But I promise you, it can occur. And as, as, as Bill Winky says on Midwest Whitetail, dream big. God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.